it was kind of a really moving thing where I just fell in love with the simplicity of being on a trail and going for a run without having to worry about what my watch said at the end, like how many kilometers I went and what my pace per kilometer was. That was Jason Hubick, and this is episode 102 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Jason Hubick is a 56-year-old runner from Regina, Saskatchewan, where he and his wife own and manage a small construction company. Jason was inspired by his daughter to start running in 2004 and quickly progressed doing his first full marathon two years later. After completing two Ironman triathlons and the Boston Marathon, Jason lost motivation for running because he felt he had checked all the boxes he had ever thought he would. It was finding his true passion in trail running that pulled him out of his funk, and he now enjoys running 50k trail races and pacing friends in theirs. During this episode, Jason repeats over and over how often he just somehow found himself training for races or taking on challenges that usually involved helping others and meeting a need. He has co-race directed three triathlons, taken over existing races to keep them alive, and developed races of his own. His races always have a fun theme and donate all proceeds to charity. One of his well-known races is the Bigfoot 50, held in June near Regina. Jason is a highly respected runner in the Saskatchewan running community, and after listening to the podcast, you will see why. He is as real as they get with a genuine love for running and his trail running community. We know you'll enjoy this episode. All right, Jason, welcome to the Inspired Souls podcast. Well, thank you for having me uh, do this. I, I hope I live up to the expectations, so... <laughs> Oh, what the expectations he's referring to there is that we've had um, more than a few listeners tell us that Jason is a man we definitely to have on this podcast. Very well respected ultra runner from Saskatchewan. And so um, it's going to be very good to get to know you a little bit better. Um, And I say better because I had the brief pleasure of meeting you at the inaugural Hidden Oasis 100 um, in early June out in Cypress Hills Provincial Park. You were pacing a friend of ours, Heidi Schmaltz, who's a past guest on the show in in her 100-mile race. And so I chatted with you a few minutes at the finish line, and we just uh, decided, I decided we got to line this guy up, like, right now. So here we are. and before we, we get too far into it, why don't you just give us a little bit of, you know, an overview of who you are, Jason, what you do, and so the listeners can kind of get to know you a bit more. Okay. Um, Jason Hubick, 56 years old from Regina, Saskatchewan. I'm married with one grown daughter uh, and a new son-in-law, which we might get into mm-hmm. a little bit by the sound of it. We have three dogs that my wife competes with. Uh, she's not a runner, but she competes in agility goes to the national events and stuff with her thing. So she has her outlet, I have mine, and for us, that's how things work. So together we own and manage a small uh, trust plant construction company. And uh, yeah, that's what keeps us busy here. All right. So uh, maybe now's a good time for you to tell us about your uh, your foray into running. And I understand you're also into triathlon as well. You said that's your your outlet. So how did you get into it in the first place? 
Well, triathlon's not really my outlet anymore. I've moved away from that. But uh, running for me started, uh, it was back in 2004. My daughter wanted to join her track team. And they had so many people want to try out for that team that year that they decided that they'd get them to um, log uh, 40 kilometers in a month with a maximum of five kilometers a day. So I said, yeah, I'd run with her every night after work. And we got started and I couldn't run around the block and decided that I needed to make a change. So um, yeah, I got kind of interested in it. One of the news anchors uh, for our local news channel was training for her first marathon. And every week she was doing weekly updates on TV and I was watching this and I was thinking, I'm not a whole lot older than her. So and she's training for a marathon. I, I think I could probably pull off a half. So that's what got started for me. I, I went to the running room and I, I didn't join the clinic, but I tagged on with them and listened to what everybody was running in the week. And that's kind of what I did. So I just, that's how I got started. So. And how old were you at this point? In my mid thirties. So mid thirties. Okay. Well, our notes here say that uh, you eventually found trail running after Boston. So does this mean that you went from, you know, running that first half marathon to eventually running a marathon and then Boston? Uh, yeah, I ran my first marathon a year after my first half marathon. It's kind of a blur how it all started. And then I don't even remember how some of the stuff happened. But um, yeah, I went from um, the marathon and... Uh, I was involved in a clinic at that time. I was a pace, one of the pace leaders for, uh, at the running room. And one of the guest speakers was this same news anchor, but this time she came in and she was talking about her Ironman experience. And I thought, this is crazy, but I was also kind of intrigued. Uh -huh. And before, <laughs> uh, before I knew it, I was signed up for an adult swim class and, uh, a year and a half later, was doing my first half Ironman, and that fall I was out in Penticton volunteering so I could be first in line to sign up for the full thing. So, yeah, it just kind of happened. I don't, I, I can't even explain how or why I got involved in that. So, so you went, you know, you did these run clinics, and got into triathlons. Was this before you even ran your first kind of official marathon? Was was a triathlon uh, your, it came before that or after that? It came after. I had ran a couple okay. marathons first okay. and I was just helping with the, with the clinics when right. the interest of triathlon kind of sparked. It was probably three years into my running before I really got started with triathlon. And what at this point intrigued you? just to see if I could do it. I swam a lot as, as a kid. I uh, had a very traumatic experience around water uh, when I was 14. I pulled a drowning kid out of the lake and it took me quite a while to get over that. So as an adult, to come back to swimming when it had been so long and I left it because of a traumatic experience, mm -hmm. uh, it was really hard to get back into the water. But it was, for me, it was... Can I still swim? Uh, biking, I, I, I cycled quite a bit already anyways. And, and the run at that point, running came fairly natural to me. So the run wasn't an issue for me. So it was just, can I put all three of these things together in the same day? So, Yes. 
And and you did. So you did Penticton. And was that your only Ironman or did you do several? I did Ironman twice. I did it in 2009 and 2010. I did a couple small triathlons after that, but that was kind of the end of my triathlon. So, Okay. So if we're, we're tracking along on your, your timeline here, uh, you, you did some marathons, you did some triathlons, and then um, eventually, like I said, you made it to the Boston Marathon. So tell us that story. Where, do, where did you qualify for Boston and tell us about your first uh, experience there? Well, my qualifying for Boston was really kind of a, a unique experience and kind of a surprise to tell you the truth. Uh, in 2010, I was asked by the friends that I was doing triathlon with, are you going to sign up again next year? And I said no, uh, because I had a fairly solid plan that I wanted to really work hard on my running because I was close to what I needed for a Boston qualifier. But a strange thing happens when you're training for Ironman. You're, you've got 20-hour training weeks and your fitness level and your recovery rate is so high that when I finished Ironman in 2010, I didn't run for a couple of days. And my first runs were like, I didn't do anything a couple of days ago. So mm-hmm. um, I went to the start line of the Queen City Marathon two weeks after doing Ironman with a very secret plan that if things went well, I was going to be a Boston qualifier by the end of that day. Things did go very well. I ran into a friend of mine on the course at 32K. And I guess if I could just step back a little bit, I don't run with any technology. I often don't even carry a watch. So when I met him at the 32K marker, he asked me, he said, are you trying to qualify for Boston? And I said, well, I don't know. What time is it? And he told me what time it was, and I quickly did a quick little calculation in my head. And at that point, I had a 10-minute buffer on my uh, Boston qualifying wow. time. Wow. So I, uh, I dialed back the pace a little bit so I didn't blow myself up. And, uh, yeah, I qualified two weeks after doing Ironman with seven minutes to spare. So, Wow. And isn't Queen City one of the last qualifiers in the window, right, for Boston? Because isn't it in September and then you have to the end of September or something to get That's in right. for that next year, right? Yep. Good. So what year was that again, Queen City? That was in 2010. 2010. So then did you do Boston in 2011? I did. Okay. Now you were saying, sorry, uh, just I, I sort of cut you off there, but you were talking about how you just came into this enormous amount of fitness through all of the training for the Ironman that then, you know, you took a little bit of downtime after the Ironman and then banged out this Boston qualifier marathon. Talk to us a little bit more about that, like the fitness that that you get doing these monstrous 20 hour weeks for triathlon and how that translated over into your marathon fitness. Well, I I didn't really realize that it was going to transfer over that way, but there, it has to be something with, you know, doing a, going out, going to a pool on a Friday night and going for a, you know, an hour and a half swim next day, getting up in the morning, going for a seven hour bike ride, following it up by a five kilometer run and next day getting up and running for three hours. Right. You have to be able to re- recover very quickly to do those back-to-back training days. So I guess after Ironman, taking the few days off, flying home, what have you, and the first run was just like, okay, you're ready to go again. So 
I guess, I guess that's all I can say to that. It's just, you're trained at such a quick recovery rate level that things just fall into place. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think something that you said there is very, very key is that really you can only train as hard as you can recover. Right. And so in order to be able to recover, you have to keep everything that you're doing at such an intensity that you can recover from it very quickly. Right. So I think maybe I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. Do you feel like the, the training for the Ironman uh, was done at such a, a lower level intensity that it was possible for you to sort of bounce back from each session where you can do the Friday night swim and the, and the Saturday bike and the, the run right after and, and still feel like you were, you know, able to absorb all of that training. Yes and no. Um, I trained for the at least the run portion of Ironman in the same way that I would train for a standalone marathon. If a marathon program had me running for a 32-kilometer run, that's what I was doing. And mm -hmm. uh, three weeks before Ironman, I ran a full marathon for a training run. So, Yeah. Yeah, well, what I think you had, let's just simplify it, is an enormous base, a really good foundation. And like you said, you were, you were trained for the marathon plus <laughs> you, you had done swimming, you had done biking and then, and then, you know, really pulled out this, this great run that got you to Boston. So you went to Boston in 2011 and I'm going to ask the Boston question. Was it a great experience? What happened for you there? I didn't have the greatest run there, but I had the, a fantastic experience. Uh, we all went with the family uh, five days of touring all the, the sites and everything around Boston. My legs were kind of trashed already from just being on pavement for five days at the, at the aquarium and, you know, at um, Salem, the, where the, the witch trials took place and stuff. I had to see it all when I was there and if it meant kind of sacrificing my race a little bit. Um, there was a couple of really cool highlights from the race, though. One was, um, if you're familiar with uh, Dick and Rick Hoyt, I believe Dick has passed away now, but uh, he, has, he, pushed, yep. he pushed his son in the wheelchair. I caught them right at Heartbreak Hill, and I ran right beside them all the way up the hill. And it was just a really cool experience running with them. And then so many other people were coming around and... I just moved away and let other people have their time running beside them. But uh, mm -hmm. the other was coming in right into Boston. You come in on, uh, I, I don't remember the street. It's a short little street, but it's mm -hmm. just before you turn on to Boylston street. Mm -hmm. And um, I caught up to a firefighter and I got talking to him. Uh, he was running in full firefighter gear. He had started two waves before me. He was exhausted because he was running in the full equipment he was from New York and he was running it in tribute to people had, that had died in 9-11. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I ran, you know, a block with him and we chatted a little bit. So that was pretty special too. So I did say that I didn't want to ruin my Boston experience by going back again. I just wanted to remember it from the one time until 2013 when the bombs went off. My daughter and wife were standing right in front of the the building where the second bomb went off. So had I been two years later, they could have been a statistic. Mm -hmm. So it hit pretty home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So, so you had a powerful experience there at Boston and, um, you, you mentioned to us before the show that, you know, your, your journey into trails started shortly after Boston because, you know, you experienced a little bit of the, the post run blues that some of us, um, go through. Tell us a little bit about that. What happened after Boston and then how did you end up on trails? Well, like you said, um, after Boston, uh, I really fell into a pretty deep, deep funk. Um, I just didn't know what to do. I, uh, I had ran countless half marathons, about 15 marathons at that point, done Ironman triathlons. There was nothing I needed to prove to myself anymore on the road anyways. But in all my training, I had always tried to make it out to a trail like once a month and just get by myself in nature and go for a run. And that's what I did this particular day. I just went out to one of our local trails for a short run and uh, I lost myself in the experience. And I just, it was, it was kind of a really moving thing where I just fell in love with the simplicity of being on a trail and going for a run without having to worry about what my watch said at the end, like how many kilometers I went and what my pace per kilometer was, everything, nothing mattered on that run. It was just like, yeah, I just lost myself in the experience. So So you experienced something, Jason, that is exactly how I found uh, when I moved from the road to the trails. It was very liberating. It was very freeing to just just go and and be wild in the forest and on the trails. Um, I find it very interesting that your first 50K, your first journey into ultra running, which as we've... (laughs) talked about many times before on this podcast inevitably seems to happen with trail runners as they find ultra somehow. It was at the very first Spruce Woods 50 kilometer run in Manitoba. So where Carolyn and I met and I've done more than a few loops around Spruce Woods Provincial Park. Um, I didn't show up in Manitoba until a few years after the inaugural event. But at that point, even then, the ultra trail running community in Saskatchewan, Manitoba was very small and it was such a grassroots kind of situation to have these races out in the provincial parks. So I would love to hear you tell us a bit about what it was like to run the very first Spruce Woods 50K. That's a good question because I hadn't experienced that type of a trail run before. So that first 50k is a little bit still still a little bit special in my mind. Of course. Uh, but, but having said that, the the trails out there, they're kind of a combination of the two trail systems that I run quite a bit here. So it was a very comfortable place for me. I, but the atmosphere is so much different at a trail run like that than it is a road marathon or something where, you know, you've got the bouncy castles and all the the stuff that is just the thrills that don't really go hand in hand with a race like that really but the spruce woods ultra to me was more bare bones this is what we're here for we're going to go run the trails we're going to get tired and we're going to eat chili or whatever they made for us at the end (laughs) it was natural it was it felt right 
Yeah. And I've heard you say a, a few things here, like it, it felt natural. Um, I didn't need to prove myself. That is something that we hear a lot of road runners turned trail runners is that there is just something so freeing and something so simple about being on the trails and not needing to sort of stress or worry about the tech. That is not the first time we've heard somebody describe that experience when they move away from the roads and onto the trail. So I was wondering if you wanted to elaborate a little bit more on what you felt those kind of first few runs as a trail runner. Well, if I could step back a little bit, I actually ditched my technology before I went to the trails. It all started on one particular half marathon I was running. It was a cloudy day and my GPS didn't sync up. So I just tossed it off to a friend and also I'll pick it up later. And I ran a PB. I just ran completely by feel. And so I kind of ditched the GPS before that. My last Ironman, all I had was a watch. I, I didn't know what kilometer I was into anything on, other than my bike computer was telling me that. But on the run, I didn't have a clue unless there was a marker. So doing that on the trails, I I was so sick of the tech and keeping a logbook and everything for my first Ironman that when it came to the second one, I thought I'm going to have more fun and just do it by feel. And so I had already dropped that technology before getting to the trails, but the trails were even that much more freeing again. I didn't have the technology and just the freedom of the run. It it just amplified by not having anything with uh, Mm -hmm. to worry about with the technology Having said that, I I do use a GPS app now because I kind of like to monitor a little bit of how far I'm going and stuff now. But mm-hmm. it's more I, I I like I still like to know. Okay, I've been out for three hours. I don't really care what the distance is. So yeah, yeah. Use it to Good. inform you after rather than dictate yeah. what you're doing while you're out there. Yeah, right. great. Makes sense to me. <laughs> So uh, shortly after finding the trails, we understand you started a Facebook group called the Regina Trail Runners. And this started uh, as just sort of a way for you to share your runs with a small group of your own friends. And then it's evolved from there. So do you want to tell us about that Facebook group? Yeah, um, because trail running became a true passion of mine, it was just like, it was all I was, all I was wanting to do. I, I didn't want to run on pavement at all. In fact, that first year that I really started, I ran one half marathon on pavement and that was it. In the COVID year, I ran one kilometer on pavement all year. Wow. And that, and that was part of a race that I put together. It was a redneck road race before I changed the route. We had one kilometer of pavement. So I ran that on, as a practice run for the for the race itself but uh so why i started this is um it was the passion trail running at that time was what they were saying was the fastest growing sport in north america mm-hmm. but there was not much here local for it and i just saw the need to pull a community together that i knew was interested in it so um i started the facebook group i asked 34 people that I knew either ran trails or had an interest in that outdoor activity like that to join the group. And um, what it's kind of geared to, I've put it out to any of the race directors to put information for their races, their sign up links, all that kind of stuff for the individual races. 
there's information on gear and tips and since then it's evolved now we're over 700 people on that group wow uh, we do weekly trail runs and it, and it started innocently enough it was just me going out for my Wednesday run I said okay this is where I'm going to go if anyone wants to join me this is where I'm going to be and it's turned into uh yeah we all go for a run we all run at our own speed but when we get to a corner we'll turn back for the slower runners and keep everybody together and it's kind of evolved back and forth a little bit. Uh, before COVID, we were having 15, 20 people show up. COVID, it got a little bit, people were just not coming out. Uh, we were still allowed to do groups of 10 outside. But uh, I think people were quite nervous about it. I'm not saying we're out of a pandemic yet. But uh, but since it's kind of relaxed and everything has loosened up, people are starting to come back now and we're seeing groups around that 10 people coming back again. So it's Perfect. kind of encouraging to see people are still interested in that. So, Absolutely. So this kind of is a little bit of a glimpse into the fact that you, you have this community building spirit in you and you, you, you saw a need and you wanted to bring people together to fulfill that need. Um, you have since moved into the next phase of this running story, which is you've become a race director and have directed many races. Tell us, you know, what inspired you to do that and, and why you decided to get into putting some races together? Well, my first my first race directing uh, experience was back when I was doing triathlon. And again, uh, in the same way I was doing triathlon, I don't know how I got involved in it. Uh, I co-directed co a couple triathlons. It wasn't the greatest experience because the race had already been established and we were kind of held to the guidelines that that race was already established as that we had to follow. Um, it wasn't a course that I was terribly happy with. There was a, a few things we wanted to change the race. The club that hosted it wasn't, uh, wasn't willing to make the changes. So I said, for safety reasons, I wanted to step away from that. So I, a few years down the road, now that I'm back into trail running, there was a, a race that I enjoyed doing, a local run here. It was uh, it was three different distances and the longest being a half marathon, but it was it was a fun run to do. But the race director was, for personal reasons, having to step away from doing it, and I just didn't want to see the race die, so I stepped in and took it over for a couple of years. And after things changed, she wanted to take the race back, and she did, so... Sadly, that race doesn't happen anymore, but uh, I was once again asked to take it over again, but I had um, the plans in, in the works for the Bigfoot 50 race that um, I said, you know, I, I'm not, I don't really want to do this. This is what I'm working on. And um, that particular race director had uh, a charity in mind for the race, and she said that she would help me out for the first couple of years if I agreed to the charity of that she had before and that she wouldn't uh, step on my toes by bringing the race back or anything. So we kind of worked together and developed, got the start to that race going. And basically what I did is I developed it with kind of a, well, Bigfoot 50, kind of a real quirky theme, but 
you have a Bigfoot costume and there's uh, one mm-hmm. of the archery places has a Bigfoot statue that comes and people get their pictures taken with it and stuff. But, oh, but having said that, um, I took what I liked from some of the races that I did and tried to bring the things that I liked from various races and bring them together into this race. So what were some of those things? What, what things did you feel needed to be brought together into one race? Well, the Grizzly Ultra, uh, I liked the fact that it was a looped race and you could support yourself with it. I, I developed the course as a looped course and they could have their own drop bags that they come back to every 12 and a half kilometers. They can support themselves as well as the aid station. From Powderface, I brought pie for a finish line. <laughs> My first trip to Powderface was, who wants to eat pie at the end of the race? But after running 44 kilometers through the Powderface trails, it was it was pretty it was pretty refreshing. So I thought, oh, I like pie, so let's bring pie to this. <laughs> I've changed that now. We don't do pie anymore because if you've been to a race that serves a sweet pie, it becomes a wasp nest. <laughs> and uh, we had uh, we had a pretty bad wasp uh, problem in 2021. So I said, we'll get, we got to get rid of the pie and do something different. So uh, we dropped that. But, you know, just those kind of little things that you don't really think about from one race is the kind of things I tried to bring into this one. So. I like it. Yeah. And that's the beauty of what you can do when you are the race director is uh, you can you can add all these little things. You said that you you like to keep them kind of fun and and free spirited as well as give back to charity. So what is the charity that the Bigfoot 50 supports? The Bigfoot 50 supports the Regina Burn Unit uh, through Regina Hospitals. Again, I've been very busy since the race, and I haven't put the numbers together uh, yet. But the race started in 2019. Of course, 2020, there was no race. So I gave people the option in 2020 that they could um, defer their entry to 2021. They could get a partial refund because, of course, I had already spent some of the money. Or they could donate to charity. And it was kind of a a split rate, like a third, a third, a third of what people did with it. So a third of the participants chose to donate to charity. So we were still able to donate around $1,900, I think it was that year, to the charity. And then in 2021, of course, we had a full race again. And with this year, I don't want to reveal too much without actually having crunched the numbers yet because I'm still waiting for a couple of bills to come in. But uh, we'll, we will have donated well over 10000 to the burn unit oh, after wow. three races and a canceled year. So That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So the race did just happen on June 18 of this year. So unfortunately, listeners, you're going to have to wait till next year to do the next Bigfoot 50. But that, that's, quite, that's quite an accomplishment. Great job. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, and that Bigfoot 50 is not the only race you direct from our understanding. You've got another one called the Redneck Road Race. You've got to tell us about that one. It sure does sound like a lot of fun. Well, it sounds like a Lazarus Red- Lake kind of race. So. Yeah. yeah. No, it, it's not like that. Um, I live in the country. I live on an acreage um, on the edge of the valley. So just in my training and knowing the roads that I run, it's exactly 21 kilometers 
from my septic tank out my lane around the block and back to my septic tank is <laughs> 21 point like it it would be certifiable as a, a certifiable half marathon so i offer a half marathon and a 10k and we've had people out you know a month and a half post knee surgery out for a 5k walk and it's basically you do whatever you want and the run is actually quite secondary to the to the social event that happens is uh I fire up the the fire pit and we all have a wiener roast and uh the very first year we did it there were still people here at one o'clock in the morning watching a meteor shower that's since then the race has kind of evolved a little bit uh I limit it to forty people because of my what my septic tank can handle but um <laughs> Since then, since then, as a race director, you kind of you kind of look for deals. But and in planning the Bigfoot race last year, I approached somebody that I had rented porter potties from before, and he uh, I asked him how much to rent a porta potty for two porta potties. He has this trailer with two porta potties on it for a weekend, and he told me, "Well, I'm not really interested in doing that anymore, but I can rent it to you for the weekend for two hundred and fifty dollars." but do you want to buy it? And my brain said no, but my mouth said how much? And he told me $500 and I thought, okay, well, I only got to rent it twice for that. So, okay, so now I'm in the porta potty business too. So maybe I can expand the race a little bit. So. Oh my goodness. But that kind of thing, like the redneck theme is just because it's on the country, out in the country, we run on gravel roads. My starter's pistol is a potato gun. Um, <laughs> the start and finish line is the septic tank. <laughs> start and finish line is the septic tank. Yeah, it's, that's perfect. What more could you want? Yeah, at a forty-person cap, I this sounds like by invitation only. This is a pretty exclusive Seriously. event. Seriously, yes. <laughs> and uh, well, that one, that one, I, I, I don't even know what I'm going to do this year. I might just actually do it, just do a donation box, but um, it's like a twenty-dollar entry fee. Um, my company buys all uh, the hot dogs and it's it, everything. A hundred percent, a hundred percent of what we bring in goes to a charity for that. Uh, for that race, uh, we donated that to the kids cancer camp. Um, it's called Camp Circle of Friends. Um, it's a it's a, ki- a camp where kids go to just forget that they either have cancer or they're living with somebody that has it. So, it's, um, I got involved with that camp through my work where they were adding a building to the camp and I just thought it was a good cause. And uh, I do that with the snowshoeing it goes to that camp. So. Okay. So tell us about the snowshoeing. It sounds like there's an interesting story with, with this as well. Again, just because of where I live, I live right on the edge of the Valley. Um, I've got miles of deer trails and stuff where we can go out into the into the woods and just explore the valley so for years I've basically since we've moved out here I've done snowshoeing where the North Face store in Regina provides me with their demo snowshoes so I can get new people onto them and stuff and uh, we just go out for hikes if there's kids involved the hikes tend to be like an hour uh, typically we'll go for an hour and a half and I've put them together for altar runners where we get out and we go for a six hour snowshoe. 
we'll pack us, you know, get people to pack up, carry a pack and bring a small lunch and we'll stop somewhere and have a bite to eat. And, you know, six hours of hiking snowshoes is, is, is kind of tiring. So. And you really got into this leading these snowshoe tours, uh, during COVID. Is that correct? Like that's really when, when this started to become a regular thing. It became a little bit more regular in COVID just because I couldn't do the big snowshoe hike where we'd have 40, 40 people following each other around through the valley. Uh, we were restricted to groups of 10. So I opened it up and I'd put it on that Regina Trail Runners page. The first eight people that responded to me were in and uh, I kept it at eight because there was myself and then maybe my daughter would join or something. I just wanted to keep it under the 10 people. So that winter, as soon as I put that post up, that hike would be filled in in a matter of a couple hours. I found some weekends I was doing four hikes in a weekend. O- over the course of that winter, I took over 140 people out that winter and personally myself hiked over a thousand kilometers. But you did mention about the COVID. Um, one very memorable thing from there, and I might get a little choked up talking about it, is after everybody left, there was one car left in parked in my backyard uh, after I put away the demo snowshoes and stuff. And this girl came out with a tear in her eye and she said, I needed that. I just needed to do something and be active with people. And um, I got a little... I I, I can tell you can tell I'm a little choked up by it because Mm -hmm. it kind of showed that what I was doing meant something to somebody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it became pretty special because of that. Yeah, well, by the sounds of it, it absolutely does mean something to more than just somebody. You definitely seem like a community builder, somebody that loves to bring people together. And um, something jumped out at us from the notes that you sent us. You said, I felt I could give back to a community that has treated me so well for so many years and do good charity work in the process. So uh, by the sounds of it and the the little goosebumps that are now all over my body uh, from you telling that story, I think you've really touched the lives of many and uh, good for you. Thank you. So from so- for somebody that inspires and touches others, there's got to be somebody who has really influenced you, Jason. Mm-hmm. Is there anybody that's really stood out as, as an influential, inspiring person in your sporting journey? I'm inspired by so many people. Some of the people you've had on your podcast, like, um, like Heidi, when she asked me to pace for her, like, she's just a good friend of mine. I respect what she does. It's not something I'm ever interested in doing myself. Uh, that's that's beyond where I want to be. But I respect her for that. Meaning like 100-mile races? Is that what you're referring to? or? Yes, for what she's prepared to put herself through. Yeah. Like, and, and she does it so enjoyably. Like She enjoys what she does. Like um, After my fall race this past year, um, I had a DNF at, uh, the Beaver flat 50 and she talked me through it. I, I actually approached her because the deeper she gets into the race, the happier she seems to be. She inspires me just with the pleasure she gets from a run 
um, another person from your podcast was John Paradowski. One of the first trail runs that he was on, he's running up a hill and I'm walking behind him at the same pace, keeping up to him. And we had a good discussion afterwards and I said, you don't run the hills. And it was a learning experience for him because it was his very first trail run, but he's gone on to do incredible things after that, that just blow my mind. And he, he inspires me that way. But the people that inspire me probably the most are the ones that are at a marathon or a race that are finishing that race last because they're, their road to get to where they are was a lot harder than most people. Uh, it didn't come natural to them. They had to work harder. And for them, the reward is so much bigger. Those are the people that inspire me the most. I love that so much. And it's so, so true. Like, you know, when something comes very easily to you, it isn't the same kind of, well, I mean, I shouldn't project that, but I, I have to imagine that it is just so to get to the end of a marathon, end of an ultra marathon, when it's been a rocky road, um, you know, just even running for half an hour, let's say to begin with, like, that is just an amazing, amazing thing to see people crossing the finish line. So I couldn't agree with you more. Um, now, sometimes when we're inspired by other people, it's because they're teaching us something too about ourselves. So what has running taught you um, about yourself, you know, whether that's actually running or some of the relationships that you've made through running? What running has probably taught me is that it's okay to chase whatever dream you have. Even if it seems selfish to you, it's okay to go after what you want. Mm. When I first ran my first half marathon to say that I'd be sitting here talking to you today about running as many marathons as I've had, uh, doing Ironman triathlons, race directing. Mm -hmm. No, it wouldn't, it wouldn't even occurred to me, but, um, but running has brought me all those things and given me so much back. Yeah. I think that's pretty much the theme of our entire podcast. There would be a lot of our guests that would not argue with you on that one. It's, it's really special what, what the sport and the community how we share with each other and give back to each other. So what's next, Jason? Are you gearing up for any more races yourself in the rest of 2022? Or do you have anything else on the horizon as a race director? Well, just, just the, what we had mentioned before, the, the redneck road race will be again. And I haven't set a date yet, but it'll be sometime in August. It's that race. If you can't tell, it's kind of fly by the seat of my pants. It's, <laughs> when when the stars align i put that one together um the other one i'm working on will be in october after you know it gets dark at six o'clock at night we can go out and have a nice night run but as far as myself i'm doing uh i'm going stepping a little bit out of my comfort zone because i've been stuck in the 50k rut for a long time uh, as mentioned, I have no desire to ever go into the 100-mile range, but uh, I'm, I'm stepping into the 50-mile range this year at the, oh. the Matahay Trail in uh, North Dakota. Matahay. Yeah. <gasps> wow, excellent. I've actually never done that trail, but I've had friends that have. And um, Don't tell yeah, me how you, old it is. 
<laughs> no, I'm just going to say it, it looks absolutely beautiful um, and remote, but a, not a very well-known trail. So what made you decide to do Mata Hay? Well, a, a friend of mine sent me some information on it and I got reading on it and I thought, looks like fun. Excellent. And that's in the, the North, North Dakota, correct? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, Theodore Roosevelt National Park. Well, Good luck. So uh, there's quite a bunch of us going from Regina this year, so it should be fun. And then besides that, as mentioned before, I took a DNF at uh, Beaver Flat 50 that last year. I've done the race every year, and uh, sadly, it just wasn't in the it just wasn't in the, in the plans for me to finish that race last year. And uh, I have some unfinished business to take care of there, so. Well, that's another one that sounds very intriguing. We had the Dudar Brothers on on our podcast as well. I don't know if you caught that episode. When was it? It was in the spring, I think we had them on. Um, yeah, winter. Mm-hmm. Oh, winter. Sometime back then. So it's that race is on my list as well. There's just too many fun places and races to do in a year to fit them all yeah. in. You have to have like a 10-year plan. Since you say you like to have fun uh, at your events, um, we're going to end with our, our fun Five rapid fire questions with you, Jason. So let's start out with your, do you have a favorite running mantra? I didn't really think so until I got really thinking about it. And yeah, I do. It's uh, someday I may not be able to do this, but today's not that day. Do you have a favorite place to run? Yeah, um, this might sound really corny, but it's, uh, I live eight kilometers from the trail, uh, one of the trail systems here. I've ran this trail hundreds of times and for me, it's mindless. I know every curve, I know every hill I get on that trail and everything disappears. The problems of the day, the, I just get on it and have so much fun. It's, there's no thought to it. I just go and enjoy where I am. So. Excellent. Do you have a bucket list race that you would like to do? I've been looking at doing the Antelope Canyon run in the Grand Canyon for a few years now. I just about went in 2020. There was a few people from here went to that race. They almost got stuck down there. It's right when COVID broke out and they almost, they had, they had a little bit of trouble getting back. But now that travel's happening again, yeah, it's kind of back on the radar again for me. The other one is, it was a bucket list for race for me and I did it and I kind of want to go back. Uh, I'm not big on repeating races unless they're local races and just supporting the local ones. But uh, the Pikes Peak Marathon was uh, a really special race for me and I, I'd like to go back and do that one again. All right. Do you have a favorite running book or movie? Uh, Born to Run is a book that I'm not going to say changed my life, but it kind of solidified a lot of the thoughts that I have. Um, but recently I listened to an audiobook uh, called Broken Open by um, David Clark. Um, if you're familiar with it, it's, it's pretty gripping on how someone could um, walk away from an alcohol and opioid, opioid addiction and replace it with uh, a running addiction. And it was a it was a really well written book. Final question: What is your favorite post run indulgence? 
That was another good question. When yeah, when when I saw that, I thought I don't know. I mean, it just depends on what hits me. Like yesterday, I finished my run and I couldn't get an ice cream in me fast enough. But I would have to say, generally, it's a really good burger. I just need something to hit that spot. Like I'd have to say, give a little bit. If you're ever in the Canmore area after the Grizzly Ultra, I went to the Grizzly Pub Brewing Company, I believe it's called. And had the elk burger. Wow. It was everything I needed after that run. <laughs> it was perfect. What is it about the burger that makes it the favorite post-run meal for road runners and trail runners alike? It's just the universal thing. This is this is a little off that topic, but one time when um I was asked to come in and speak at a at a running clinic, it was about um being able to mentally accept what you're doing as a positive and I said if you think about a Big Mac meal it sounds horrible to tell a runner that it's the thing to do but if you can justify it you can justify it and I said Big Mac meal you can because you get some protein you get some fat you get some carbohydrate you get some salt and you get some sugar it's everything you've lost in your run and if you can mentally justify that Go ahead. Have a Big Mac meal once in a while. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think runners need need uh, to be co- too convinced about uh, why they should go for a Big Mac afterwards. <laughs> Most people are pretty <laughs> on board. It's not something I do often, but it uh, if it if it's the the hamburger place that I need on the way, it's yeah, um, it's what yeah. I get. So Jason, thank you so much for coming um, onto the podcast and telling us a little bit more about yourself and the runs that you do there in the Regina area. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you for having me.